today we are speaking with Dr. Nelson Okoshenkin, OBE, the CEO of the International Federation of Consulting Engineers, otherwise known as FIDIC. FIDIC is the global representative body for national associations of consulting engineers and represents over 1 million engineers, 40,000 firms in over 100 countries. They are also responsible for the FIDIC suite of construction engineering contracts, with which many of the listeners to this podcast will be very familiar. Dr. Okoshankin is also a board member and chair of the Crossrail Investment Committee at Transport for London. Dr. Okoshankin, welcome and thank you for agreeing to speak with us today. It's a pleasure to be with you, James. Thank you very much for your invite. So you're obviously a very prominent and active participant in the construction engineering industry, and you've also been appointed to a number of very high-level executive level positions. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to take up these positions and what motivated you to do so? Well, put it this way, they always say that everybody learns something from their parent. My father happens to be an engineer, uh, and I was once told when I was little, as long as people leave, they need a shelter, they need transport, they need system. So I followed my father's footsteps, and uh, I became a civil engineer, and started my career in the days with Tarmac as a contractor, and worked my way through the system all over the world as an engineer, project manager, and deliver a lot of projects, but ultimately came back to UK, which is home for me, and continue in the capacity as a consultant. Uh, and having worked with like of WSP, uh, High Point Render as a PLC and a board director, it's natural at a point in time you ask the question, how many more bridges can you build? How many more airports can you build? Uh, so when the opportunity came up uh, to represent the industry, I took it up, and I thought, if I cannot be Thomas Telford and I cannot be Brunel, I can't be the voice for the construction industry. And that's why I took up the role in ACA. And it's been fantastic uh, coming into that journey. But in that process, I've always been involved with big projects in Hong Kong airport, you know, in Libya, in South Africa, in different parts of the world. So it makes practical sense that I continue. One of the interesting things you will find out if you go through my background is the fact that I'm not just an engineer. I also train to be uh, a qualified arbitrator and a mediator and adjudicator. Uh, and this is benefit of working for the like of Hypo and Rendo, where we dealt with a lot of dispute all over the world. So by the time I came into ACE, I was all-rounder, and it makes sense that I should be able to uh, move ultimately into FIDIC. And in between that, I still sit as the chair of investment committee of a fund in Africa. Uh, I'm currently on the TFL board, as you said at the beginning, and responsible for you know program and investment committee. And I'm also just come off on the Crossrail, uh, where I've been the chair of the investment committee, which is a big project, so say the least. Uh, it's been an interesting journey, uh, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, but I suspect at a point in time, you ask, how much can you do on projects and national, and now I'm at the global level. And FIDIC is like UN for the whole of the engineering community, uh, and it serves the community all over the world, as you correctly said. And, and I'm, I see it as a challenge. And it's good to have a UK person running FIDIC. Thank you. Now, just pausing for a moment on your role with FIDIC. Obviously, FIDIC as an organisation is uh, an engineer's organisation for engineers. But the FIDIC suite of contracts, of course, is drafted by engineers, for engineers, building uh, and, and doing engineering works on major projects. But, of course, it also crosses over into the legal sphere. And I just wondered how you found that working with engineers and lawyers together? How have you found that interaction? James, it's a very good question. I mean, I suspect, you know, if you go back to the root of FIDIC, 
in the sense that, you know, FIDICARE was really about promoting the best in classes, standard of delivery. Uh, and we have three golden approach that we've taken the pillar. One is about the quality of the design. Uh, the second is about sustainability of whatever we do. And the third one is about integrity and transparency. But if you look at the concept of the quality, it means it's not just the quality of the engineering, but the quality of the delivery and the procurement and the execution of the project. So it makes practical sense. Uh, if you start from the genesis of the old resident engineer, have to be the person who acts on behalf of the client, and therefore the contract have to be drafted in a way that enable all supply chain uh, to be involved with the project from end to end. But ultimately, I think the key point is always about um, making it fair for all parties and ensuring that at least you know, the contract is delivered in the most efficient way. So from that point of view, I think it's natural that you know engineers sees that a role is to help the client in delivering, but also they have this independent, uh, you know, what I call you know, um, a balanced individual uh, to make sure that you know all parties to the contract are dealt with in a fair and a balanced manner. So from that point of view, uh, it doesn't surprise me that FIDIC, you know, is very much in this area. But also, James, if you take the question back, um, yes, Philip is working with contract and producing contract, produced by engineer for engineer. But actually, when you look at the way the contracts are being produced, uh, it goes through a number of stringent approach that also require legal input. So when we produce our document through our contract committees, we have a number of people, including lawyers, who we call in for friendly review at different stages. And then at a certain point before our documents go out, we also invite lawyers who are eminent lawyers all over the world to give us legal perspective on legal interpretation of the contract to ensure that jurisdiction can be dealt with and the contract is fair and balanced. So I do not find it strange. Actually, I think it's a collaborative effort between the engineering industry and the legal industry, and both can coexist and work very well together. No, absolutely. I think that's right. Um, and I think, I mean, it, it, it almost goes without saying that because it's a, I mean, a FIDIC formal contract is a sophisticated document. It's a well thought through document. Um, it's a document that works when you, you read it. It's got, a, it's got a philosophy which makes sense. I'll leave Harith, um, who's a lot more experienced at, at drafting FIDIC uh, related contracts to, to sort of discuss that in more detail. But there's no doubt that um, it's well thought through uh, and it works in most cases on most projects. And you can see that by the popularity of the, of it, you know, and its use around the world. Um, for many people listening to us, they will be familiar with the FIDIC form. Um, but obviously, as I mentioned in the introduction, FIDIC is a lot about a lot more than just the forms of contract. And I think that may, may come as a surprise to some people who, who just see it as being uh, a form of contract. They don't realize that FIDIC may actually be doing many more things than that. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about FIDIC's overall strategy and its objectives, uh, in particular over the last few years? Well, as you probably know, I came into FIDIC about two and a half years ago. Uh, we've just put a new strategic plan together. Uh, but strategic plan is not actually, you know, um, fundamentally different from what we started on, but we're making it relevant, we build on it. FIDIC is based on representing association around the world, as you correctly said at the beginning. 
And our priority really is always about those three pillars that I talked about, which is, you know, ensure that we encourage best practice in design, best practice in the way consulting operation work all over the world, and promoting, you know, good guidance on how people should deal with construction projects. And that's why the contract come out of that is really meant to be a guide on good practice. Uh, and that particular means that a lot of clients, James, look up to the Philly contract as a good benchmark and a good barometer of contract to be used around the world. So it's not surprising that because it's been successful, you find that most multilateral development bank, they fully adopted it. And particularly since I came in in the last 12 months, we've been able to secure seven multilateral development bank to fully adopt the whole rainbow suite. Uh, but when we talk to the bank, James, we really don't talk purely about the contract. We talked about the procurement of the banks. We talked about their investment pipeline. We talked about their principle and transparency. We talked about issue about sustainability and also issue about integrity. When you look at that all together, the conversation we have with the client and stakeholder is far, far more than just pure contract. But a lot of people, as you correctly said, James, tend to know Philic for the contract. Eh? So if you ask me to describe the Philic role, I would say the contract is one of the best practice documents that we put out, and the world have accepted that, and it's now become the benchmark across the world. So from that point of view, our engagement with government at different level is all about that area. For example, we are dealing with United Nations on sustainability development goals, we have our committees operating across different sectors. We're producing guidance notes and good practice, which our industry use and a lot of client endorse and some of the government entity and United Nations use it. So it gives us a quite a broad spectrum of activity that we do. So in conclusion, contract is one part. There's a bigger agenda uh, which cover you know issues about climate change, best practice in development, project management and integrity. So all those things are key items that we focus on, not just pure on contract. Um, Harith will ask, ask some questions about climate change. Interesting you mentioned that. I think yeah. Harith is going to ask some questions about climate change in a moment. I just wanted to focus before we do that on, on geographies. Um, and one thing I'm particularly interested in is where uh, the, the, the large where the large areas of growth are in the in the world in terms of infrastructure construction engineering works and we can we can look around the world over the last decade two decades uh, and it's fairly obvious about where there's been a lot of hot spots of construction to, you know in parts of asia the middle east uh increasingly latin america uh, and africa i mean looking forward where do you i mean where are you where are your focuses now i mean in terms of spreading the word uh, and, the, and the reach of FIDIC and, 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 as you say, spreading best practice in the industry, engineering industry. But James, there any particular you, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. What you find that is that um, we have two, excluding COVID, and now COVID is on top of it, uh, we have two type of, you know, development phase that most countries facing. You have the advanced countries, such as United Kingdom, United States, and all of that, uh, and Western Europe, and then you have emerging markets and some medium-time development. The way I see it at the moment is that there's a huge opportunity in Asia, and always in Asia, it's still a major area of growth across the GDP in Asia. Um, China, of course, internal market, 
when you look across the whole of Asia, there is a huge opportunity, you know, across Asia, Indonesia, Malaysia, Hong Kong is still very much growing. China it is, but it's a very, very close market, and that's a challenge, and I'll come back to talk about that. Uh, Middle East continues to grow, albeit it has its own challenges, uh, which is sort of, uh, you know, sort of instability in that particular area. Africa is on the low side, but it's actually got huge potential, and it's coming through. We then start to see what I call the Eastern Europe, which is an area that's grown. And that, I tend to look at that, what I call it as the sort of a primary infrastructure. What you find that in the West is that we see growth that is going to come through as a result of the COVID, uh, because most assets in the Western are very much fastly sell by date. And there's huge replenishment agenda that needs to come through. But then the question that comes through in terms of infrastructure, I define between social infrastructure and economic infrastructure. Uh, and if I can put it simply, the economic infrastructure are the airport, the road, the rail, the big infrastructure. And the social infrastructure are things like education, hospitals, you know, all those things are coming through that people need. And now that we have the issue of COVID, I suspect that there is a balance requirement. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether more people still want to work in the city or whether the big infrastructure is going to be 5G or possibly 6G because a lot of people are now working from home. And I also see that, you know, the decarbonization of the world is going to be a big driver. So the concept of net zero, i.e., you know the situation in the West, particularly in UK, we're looking at 2050 or net zero, with same agenda is going to come up in North America when Biden comes in. You see more solid, you know, activity coming on between the old ally and North America now that Trump is going to step down. So I do see uh, what I call replenishment of asset would be the big drive in the West and the Atlantic, and that will be driven by a green agenda, and the issue about net zero will be a big area to actually move through. In the emerging market, they're still building traditional you know, infrastructure, and that will continue to be. But actually, I think you know, one needs to be careful that we don't see the emerging market trying to catch up they may leapfrog us in the sense that you know some of them will not do things that we've done they will jump escape and they will build fantastic infrastructure that will be carbon driven i.e net carbon zero agenda or decarbonization or to look at new technology which we have looked at in the, in the west if we flip it back and start to look at the intervention james you then start to see who can make an impact in the emerging market this is where the multilateral development bank comes into it. So, for example, while the political stability may be happening in South America, you will find that Inter-American Development Bank, who have just adopted the contract, will be pumping billions and billions of money in Latin America, and that will be an area of growth. You see African Development Bank putting funds into both North and Sub-Saharan Africa, you see, the, like Islamic Development Bank are looking at all the Islamic speaking or the Arab speaking country as far as Indonesia to Saudi Arabia to Morocco, and that's going to be an opportunity. You see, the like of EBRD, European Bank for Development Reconstruction, which really was focusing on Eastern Europe. Now they will be looking at even the south, you know, um, what's called the southern part of Europe. They're also looking into, you know, them, Morocco and they're looking into sub-Saharan Africa because they now extend their operating country. So I see the role of the multilateral development bank will be a game changer. And the reason why it be a game changer is most government in the emerging market 
are looking for opportunity to bring capital into their country to be able to deliver this infrastructure. This bank can actually help to encourage foreign direct investment by being a good interventionist into the process and therefore change the game. And that's why we in Philip, you know, use the approach that we need to get all this multilateral development bank uh, to adopt Philip contract and therefore create a good environment for inward investment and co-financing on infrastructure in different parts of the world. What you're saying, I guess, is uh, it's it's all about making sure that the, the investors in these projects are comfortable with the political environment in which they're investing that money. That makes that, of course, that's that's fundamental. Um, and how FIDIC, FIDIC can help that situation by providing, you know, a a stable, well-known allocation of risks between investors, developers, and contractors, and 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 I guess you know international contractors are equally attracted to the fact that uh, it's a development bank using a FIDIC form of contract. 